Welcome to the Raise Private Money Legally Podcast with your host, Corporate Securities Attorney Kim Lisa Taylor. Kim is a nationally recognized attorney, speaker, and the author of two number one Amazon best-selling books, the latest of which is How to Raise Capital for Real Estate Legally. Kim and her firm, Syndication Attorneys, PLLC, have been responsible for over $2.75 billion in securities offerings. The purpose of this podcast is to introduce you to topics and services you need as your real estate syndication business grows. Whether you're a new syndicator or a seasoned fund manager, this podcast is for you. Information discussed during this free podcast is of a general, educational nature and should not be construed as legal or tax advice. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Syndication Attorney's uh, free monthly podcast. Um, During this podcast, we talk about topics of interest to real estate syndicators with the opportunity for live questions and answers at the end of the call. I'm attorney Kim Lisa Taylor. Uh, If any of you don't know, we actually have launched an official podcast called Raise Private Money Legally. You can uh, subscribe to it on any of the uh, major podcast platforms. We're broadcast on 20 different platforms. We've reached over a thousand downloads. Uh, We've only been up for a month or two. So we're doing wow. really, it's doing really great. And uh, so, yeah, so if you want to subscribe to our podcast, uh, please do so. Um, today, our topic is what's happening in multifamily family lending uh, from a mortgage broker's perspective. And uh, we've asked our, our good friend, Julianne Peterson from Old Capital to join us as our guest speaker today. So thank you uh, so much. It's so great to visit with you and and share uh, a little bit of what we're doing over in the lending area. Yeah, I was happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about you and your background and how you got into this business. Yeah, so I've been in real estate for 30 years, Um, started when I was 20. And, (laughs) and uh, I ended up getting into becoming a, a property manager and and, and landlord, uh, 21 years of that. And I just finally finished that. And I and I'm now outside of the great state of California because I, you know, we've got such regulations uh, for tenants as opposed to uh, landowners. So I decided I'm no longer going to be doing um, assets here in California. So I am a limited partner. I am a GP. I'm a KP. And uh, I really, when I got into this, when I went into trying to find lending, a lot of the lenders were like, "Eh, go away if you didn't have exactly what you wanted. So when I came to Old Capital three years ago, I said, I want to make sure that I'm not telling people to go away that really look at their opportunities to help them because in commercial real estate, it's very different than single family. And a lot of people come in here thinking, Oh, it's, it's, it's the same. I don't need any specific uh, things that are different, but really it is a, a real different beast when it comes to especially, you know, getting the best financing, uh, the best opportunities, the right uh, partners, all of those things are really, really important in commercial uh, lending. Yeah. And you're not doing just traditional commercial lending. You're doing a lot of other stuff besides that, right? So tell yeah. us about some of your other products. So we do for multifamily. Now we do multifamily about 95% of our business is in multifamily. So we really are a specialist, but we will do uh, mobile home parks. We'll do student and senior housing. Uh, retail, industrial, any of the other asset classes, 
we will provide. Now, typically those old, those other asset classes are gonna be your bank financing. So a lot, a lot different than what we're able to provide for affordable housing for somebody that are that, that are living in our in our assets. So in multifamily, we have actually we work with four different types of lending uh, options. So we do bank financing. So that's your local lenders, regional banks, um, and there's limitations to that. And we can certainly break that down. But we also do bridge, and right now bridge is. Uh, an amazing product. It is short term. It's really the name is what it is. It bridges you from creating um, value. It's unstabilized assets into stabilized. That's a bridge product. We also do agency. Agency is your Fannie and Freddie. And there are requirements for that. And then we also do CMBS, which is a whole nother type of product, you know, where maybe the other three don't work. And so we'll go to CMBS as our last option. Which means commercial mortgage. Mortgage-backed securities. Yeah. Right. That's okay. right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then send bridge. But then don't you also do some uh, equity? Uh, we will bring right? equity. Um, currently, our equity position is providing debt for, I'm sorry, equity for, we'll, we'll provide the debt, but we also want to do the equity. So it, we're not going to do the equity unless we get the debt. And the we we're, where we see this is the application is on class A. We've got probably 28, 29, 30 of these equity partners that we're going with, and they really want top-notch product. So what I'm building out now is the B and C where I can bring in that equity partners to the transaction. So, you know, I go, uh, because I work with a lot of new folks, people that don't have their team put together, I'm bringing sponsors, I'm bringing attorneys, I'm bringing your real estate uh, insurance uh, brokers, I'm bringing brokers themselves and it's real important when we're talking about, you know, partnering, you know, Old Capital, Julie, we can bring all of those partners, which is really a different type of uh, getting into these deals is really different than what most brokers are doing currently. So I, that's where I yeah, kind of position that, that myself differently. Yeah, that is a lot different. All right. Well, so mm-hmm. let's, um, you know, so just so that we can enlighten our audience, some of whom may know these things, but some who may not. What is a mortgage broker versus going directly to a lender? Yeah. So a lot of people say, uh, you know, I want to go to the chef. I don't want to go and and have to put my order in with a waitress or a a server. And, And we're kind of the waitress, if you will. I can go and I can shop all the different types of products out there. So if you if you need a bank, I've got that. You don't have to go and try and find the bank, right? I mean, that's a lot of work. And if you need to have a bridge loan, you don't necessarily have that relationship with the bank. All of these relationships take time. So when you come to a broker, we have a list of broker or of lenders that we work with that we have a relationship with that we know what they are looking for and what some of their concerns are for different property areas. When you go direct, yes, you're, you know, getting rid of the the middleman, if you will. But if there's a situation where you're, you've only gone down directly to them, and they have bought your, uh, your deal and said, I can get you 
80%. And I'm coming to the transaction. I'm saying, I can get you 75. Now you have hooked your wagon to this horse and that horse can only deliver 75% at close or getting ready to close. You do not have any, any options, but to go back to your investors who you've said, I'm going to, your, your share is going to be worth this much. Now you're going back and having to bolt on more investors. And now those shares become um, much less valuable. So working with a broker, somebody who's working on behalf of you, as opposed to going directly, it's, you're not saving much in, in the way of costs, as in the way of timing, and in the way of adding value to you. Because once again, when, when I see that either my, my uh, borrowers are coming up short, I bring an investor or I, you know, they don't have an attorney, I'm bringing the attorney. So the value that we're creating is pretty special. And we also educate people, you know, we've got our old capital podcast, we've got a lot of outreach to help people understand what it is that it takes to get these deals done. And at the end of the day, it really, really doesn't matter if the transaction costs you a quarter more for using a broker. Because if they're going to be able to close for you, doesn't matter if you pay a quarter or a quarter more or a quarter less. If you can get the deal done that maybe you've been working on for a year, because some of these things take a long time. I've been working on some of these transactions for nine months. You don't want to be in a, in a position where you cannot deliver. This hard work, you need to make sure you can execute with certainty. Well, yeah. And I've seen situations before where clients have gotten close to closing and all of a sudden, for some reason, one lender just backs out. In fact, that happened to me on a, on a single family uh, purchase during yeah. COVID. Uh, right. <laughs> but if right. you're working with a mortgage broker, you're not stuck, right? You don't have to scramble and go find somebody else because you have other relationships that you can go to, some of yep. which can probably close quite quickly and, right. and still get the deal done. And I've seen that happen where somebody had a mortgage broker and they were able to just still go on seamlessly as far as the seller was concerned, right. get the deal closed. But uh, if you're working with a direct lender, then you're you're in, in Hot water. You're limiting. You're limiting yeah. your options, right? Because that 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 lender might not be able to pivot. They might not have the product that you need to now that they can't do it. Maybe it, they you thought they were going to go to agency and now it's shifting to bridge. That happens quite often. Yeah. So well, and you a know, lot of times it's just because there's all of a sudden a shift at the lender that you know because of some you know market change or mm-hmm. you know they they all of a sudden change their policy and they're like oh yep. yeah by the way we're not going to do this type of loan anymore so sorry even though it's you know a couple of weeks before closing yeah um, that's that does happen Kim yeah I've seen that and uh, it, and it's a sad situation but yeah working with an experienced mortgage broker I mean I've seen mortgage brokers you know pull you know, rabbits out of hats. And yeah. I mean, well, you know what, when you're, when you're looking for a, a, a partner and somebody that can get you from transaction to transaction, because you're not just going to stop at one, you're going to keep going. You want to have 
the person that's going to be able to execute it, the professional. When you go to learn how to play tennis, you're not going to go for the cheapest guy. No. And if you've got cancer, you're going to not look for the cheapest doctor, right? right. You're going to go for the, the people that know how to, to transact these types of larger, you know, assets. So right, right. it's real important. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. There are certain things that you shouldn't try to do by yourself and uh, exactly. brain, brain surgery, uh, legal syndication <laughs> documents, <laughs> mortgage brokerage, I, I think are fall yeah. in those categories. I think you know, so. There, there's always, it, it's always a savings to you. If you pay the professional uh, who can do the job correctly, it saves you grief, stress, uh, you know, um, ultimately it will save you money, even though you, you might think, oh, I've got to pay additional points to this broker up front, but if they can get you a better loan to value or better interest rate, you're going to make up for that, you know, over and over and over again. Yeah. So, you know, don't, don't be short-sighted and, and use a mortgage broker. So you've got choices. You know, I liken it to like an insurance agent, right? You go to your insurance agent because they have access to all these insurance products and they can help put together the one that best fits what you're trying to do. That's right. I think that's really the role of a mortgage broker as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great. Um, so what kind of, what, what areas of the country are you seeing the most loan activity in the multifamily space? Well, you know, uh, of course, the Texas market has been the number one market for the last 12 months. So we're definitely that's seeing, the last 12 years. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, but if you look at you know, with all of the COVID problems, with collections, with rent growth, you know, we're still seeing a strong uh, assets doing great things in Texas. So, yeah, we are seeing Phoenix. We are seeing Atlanta. It's like a mini mm-hmm. Texas. And uh, that that is definitely growing uh, by leaps and bounds. Florida is still a great, great market. Uh, we are seeing some traction coming out of, you know, the, the north. I'm um, sorry. Um, North Carolina, South Carolina, not as much out of South Carolina, but North Carolina is getting some traction. Charlotte, uh, Raleigh, Durham, we've got some stuff going on there. You know, we've also seen a pivot from the lender standpoint coming out of uh, Tennessee and out of Oklahoma. Oklahoma and both of those markets were pre-review on Oklahoma. They've removed that just probably in the last four or five months. So while they're keeping their eye on it, they are opening it up. And I've recently seen, and we never could get over like 70, 75%. And now we're seeing even 80% in some of those markets. So it's something to be looking at. You do really need to, I hate to say it, but be very careful from from location to location, from block to block, from next door to each other. In Houston, same thing. Yeah, I've heard that for years. Be but. really, really careful, and before you even get started, no, no kidding. Put in your Google search the address and murder or crime. Oh, wow, that's interesting. And see what comes out. So the address and murder or the address and crime. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know you could do that. Yep. And you will see. Now, be careful because in a lot of cases, it might say apartment grove as opposed to apartment place. Uh So you got to be really careful. Dig in. Maybe, you know, do a real deep um, search on that. Call the local uh, police to confirm Mm -hmm. what you're reading. But that's where you can eliminate some concern from a lender standpoint 
So I was talking about how uh, we didn't know about these murders and we're going down the road and we're looking at, okay, how can we get this done? And once we identified that there was murders on the, the property, the, a lot of these brokers, or I'm sorry, these lenders left the transaction. They said, nope, I'm not interested now. There's too much going on. But the, the ones that are, you know, excited about it and, you know, we can mitigate it. You got to just understand what happened? Was it somebody who lived there? Is it a random deal? And then, you know, let's talk to the lenders. What's it going to take? Am I going to need to put a police officer? Am I going to need to put up lights? Am I going to need to put up cameras or a fence or something like that? That's what the lender wants to know. I actually was the manager of an apartment complex in California. It was actually a fairly new apartment complex, but they had a whole um, security guard uh, component where, you know, we had at least one guard on shift every, every hour, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Did. We have seen, uh, we've seen uh, owners give uh, an apartment to the police officer. Like I want you living here. So be here. This is your, this is your, uh, your place either come as an office or can you live on the, on the, in the, in the unit. So <clears throat> those are things that you can propose to a lender. It's always very, very helpful and gives them a sense of confidence. Mm-hmm. Very helpful. Yeah. Um, so interesting, as far as the areas of the country, um, you mentioned Florida and from a syndication perspective, the whole time I've been doing this since 2008, uh, I have not uh, had clients have very much good luck in Florida. I've had very few clients be able to buy in Florida just because the cap rates are usually too low. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's interesting that you are seeing some activity, um, from people buying in Florida. Um, I would say they're hard. They're, they're difficult to get done. A lot of them are depressed assets, right? Um, Cause they're just trying so hard to get it. They'll just do anything for it. So it has a component of uh, work that's needed. Uh, we're also seeing JV deals coming in more so than a syndication. So mm-hmm. um, what, what I see is a lot of foreign money coming in yeah. there. And that's um, what I think has been the competitive mm-hmm competition for our syndication clients is that mm-hmm. uh, so many uh, foreign investors willing to take pretty much any return just to get their money Absolutely. in their own country that, uh, you know, unless you're actually working with that group of foreign investors yourself, it's not mm-hmm. going to be competitive for your U.S. investors to invest in those markets. But um, the- I've seen a big shift from my investors going yeah. to single family and, and interesting. Yeah. in Florida. Particularly. Southeast U.S. has always been pretty good. Uh, the whole time I've been doing this, Midwest has always been good. Coastal cities, you know, not so much. If you happen to live in an area and you know that there's opportunities in that area, then, uh, you know, then that works for you. But for people from out of state coming into coastal areas, it <laughs> has not been traditionally very fruitful. Right. Um, well, we we work on the coastals are pre- predominantly uh, speculation type type of assets. So you can, I'll tell you, I was making $11 and 59 (laughs) cents in California on my asset, but you can walk away two or three years later with 400,000. So that's the great thing about those coastal, but it's not for cash flow. It's, you just don't buy it for cash flow. Right. And that's what a lot of investors want. And that's what you need to deliver uh, what the investors want. So pick a, pick the right place. 
Are there still lingering effects from COVID um, in lending requirements? Are they still requiring COVID reserves, things like that? Or is that starting? Well, so great question. Uh, just last week, actually, I think it was it, this week seems like it's been so long. We're only uh, four days in. But on Monday, Fannie said no more, no more reserves requirements. Oh, so that is a big deal. Wow. And 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 so here's the deal. I mean, we're seeing the 10-year treasury going up, going up. It kind of tips down. But since the beginning of the year, the 10-year treasury has been on the run. And so where how that dictates where people are going to put their uh, use, what kind of lending they're going to use with that with that trending up 10-year treasury, the the rates have gone up. And then you had the COVID reserves. Now right. we've got $40 billion of agency financing and we're only at about 50, 50, mil, 50 billion. So we need to make up for that. So they're taking that away, that COVID reserves. There is some real certainty that um, the market is strong. So we can take that, take those off. Freddie is still at six months. Um, and on assets that are at 65% loan to value, which is really low leverage, there are no COVID reserves. But on Freddie today, we do have COVID reserves six months on that. So yeah, I think, you know, we're just right around the corner to see that being removed. That's great. Okay. Well, that, that will make a big difference. Of course, with yeah. the interest rates on the rise, that's going to start affecting pricing and, and uh, Absolutely. The viability of these deals also. So, you know, I mean, it seems like we're out of time right now where there's a really a large amount of activity. Um, yeah. I feel like it's kind of everybody's trying to get in there while they can, right? <laughs> and get the deal yeah. And they're, they're paying crazy prices. Crazy. Yeah, well, and it's a fantastic time to sell if uh, if you've got a property mm-hmm. to sell. Um, but uh, unless you know where you're going to put the money afterwards, you might want to. Exactly. I'm in a 1031 right now trying to find it. So it is it is rough. Right, right. All right. So you think interest rates are going to keep rising for some? I do. I do. Um, If you look at the 10 year treasury, just because we go along with those on the Fannie and Freddie products. So, you know, we saw it right at Nova and uh, March, it just took a dive. I mean, we were at 0.06, I think at the beginning of the year, we were at point at 0.9. I mean, it was so low, but every month, and I, I, you know, if you look at the, that treasury, you can see we are continually, it's, it's writing itself and then it's up and it's coming down a little bit, but the trend is rising. And now we've got compressed cap rates. So these, you know, it's harder and harder to put these transactions together. And then you go to class C where you're working so, so hard to improve it. And the returns are just not because the the compression of those assets, the, the cap rates are just so low all that work to get a C product online and stabilize is so much more work. So if you can find a class B product where you're getting, you know, just about the same uh, cap rates and with the interest rates so low, you don't have to do a bunch of rehab and all that. You can get to stabilization quickly. Why not? Right. It's more of a yield play at that point. And you can hold on to it for five years and 
hopefully ride this wave a little bit easier, a little bit more efficient. No, of course, they're they're hard to find. So you have to, you know, obviously find a, a strategy that works for you to find these assets off market, whatever they are. Consider yourself like a miner. I mean, you're always digging for deals. You know, and and it's hard. Sometimes they're hard to find, but the deals are still out there. We still have a number of uh, syndication clients. Um, We've been very, very busy this whole year um, Mm -hmm. for the last 12 months. We've been, it's just like, you know, a year ago, we took a pause uh, in, you know, first quarter of the year. And then uh, after that, it's like the dam broke loose and we've been busy ever since. So absolutely out there, people are finding deals, they're getting them done. Um, You know, lower loan to value is not necessarily a bad thing for investors because you're minimizing their risk. So it might be lower returns, but you can offset that by explaining to them that the lower the loan to value ratio we put on the property, maybe you can get a better interest rate. And, um, you know, maybe you can uh, also minimize their risk by knowing that if there is a market correction and everything drops 25% and you've got a 75% loan to value loan on your property, you're still in good shape. You've just got to ride it out. You know, maybe you, yeah, you know, that, that brings up a really good point to, to talk about because these bridge loans I had mentioned they're they are the place to be right now. Um, because with the COVID reserves, that was adding another principal and interest for 12 to 18 months that's taken off, you know, they're coming back. But now with these bridge loans, you can roll in your CapEx expenses. So you don't have to capital raise. That's what's been so great about uh, bridge lending is that you don't have to bring in on a $30 million deal, $21 million is the loan. You got to bring in $9 million. On these bridge loans, you only have to bring in $6 million. Mm-hmm. And you're able to get 100% of that CapEx. I mean, incredible. But the problem is not a problem, but the risk tolerance on these types of products, you have to be aware of them. We need to see experience in the sponsorship. You just can't go down and say, I'm new. I've been doing single family for the last 20 years. I've been in and out, fixed and flipped 100 properties. This is a little bit different. You really need to be able to scale it and get people in and out so you can rehab their properties, there's a skill. And these, these lenders are going to want to need, they're going to want to see it. They're going to want to see, you know, your, your resume. They are going to want to see somebody's local to that area. That's going to be watching uh, the, the, the CapEx being completed. And these, these bridge loans, you know, great. I love the product but they do become a little bit more expensive. I mean, when we talk about agency, you're talking about a $10,000 application fee. When we go over to bridge, you're talking about 50 to $60,000 that you could be out if this transaction doesn't go. So you need to be wise. You need to understand what it takes and be educated and find partners that can help you take this down, especially on a bridge, because you get you kind of only get one uh, uh, opportunity to work with a bridge lender because they want to see you execute. It's not like you can do an agency debt and then you go to another agency debt when you you know have executed your plan and go to another one. No, no, no. You do your your plan in 
and bridge. And if you haven't executed, you're probably going to have to sell at a, at a loss or, or not as much as what you would have been able to get had you executed um, on, on plan. So those are the things that. What kind of terms are you seeing for your bridge loans? Are these, you know, yeah. like two, three year loans or. Yeah. So typically, and these, there are lots and lots of bridge lenders. These are people that have a bunch of money and they said, Hey, I want to put out the money. It's kind of like a hard money, not so much, but just the concept of it. Right. So these lenders are two, maybe three years of interest only. And they have an additional one to two year extensions in case you need it. Now, these are 70, 75% loan to value plus 100%, 75 to 100% of your CapEx expense. And the rates on these are between 325 to 425, 450, depending on the area, depending on what your plan is. But I mean, if you look at that compared to, let's say your plan is to get out in three years. If you compare that to an agency debt, you're probably going to be starting at 350 and you have to go capital raise your CapEx. So two different ways to look at it. They're both non-recourse debt. So you could do it every day of the week like you would with agency, but the time starts ticking day one to execute your plan. It's critical. The the exit strategy for these is either that you got to flip the property before the end of the loan term, or you have to flip it, uh, refinance it, and usually refinancing with agency debt. So one caution I have for people who are buying these is make sure that you're structuring your companies with the bridge loan in the same way that you're going to be required to have them structured if you go for Fannie or, or agency debt. Correct. Freddie financing. So if you, for example, if you have over a $10 million loan balance, you need to have a a separate single purpose entity take title to that property. It has to be one step removed from your investors. So you're going to have a separate investor entity. That title holding entity is usually going to be formed in Delaware and registered in the state where the property is located. That's a requirement of Fannie and Freddie. And if you don't have your uh, company structured that way, you put your investors in the wrong place or you don't form it in Delaware, you're going to have to do that when at the point that you're getting that refinance. And that's going to cost you some fees because you you could have to be doing a title transfer, which could cause a taxable event. You could have to be doing you know, reconfiguring your uh, your corporate setup, which is going to cost you some money, some time, and perhaps some grief and, and maybe even permission of your investors to do it. So, you know, make sure that you understand what the structure has to be later on so that you structure it correctly from the beginning, even if the bridge lender doesn't require it. Okay. So that so- is amazing information, Kim. I listeners, this is critical. Yeah, I'm the lender and I'm your biggest partner. But if you don't know what your plan is and your attorney isn't directing you to do that, you got to get in with Kim because all of that stuff that you just said, Kim, is critical to the, how are you going to take this plan out? Are you going to have to sell it? Are you going to be taking it out as a, a, you know, an agency? It is critical to know. Don't be getting into these and saying, well, I think. No, no, you have to have a plan. It is really important from day one. I mean, that 
whole structure is so important to, to be thinking about. Yeah. I love that, Kim. Good. Um, all right. So um, what, so you said that they have to have experience if they want to do bridged out, what kind of experience are you looking for two years or, you know, does it have to be? So, yeah. So we're a bridge that doesn't say, you know, two years, like the agencies, right? I mean, agency is going to say, I need two years, three to five transactions. I need net worth and liquidity requirements on agency. Now, as Kim said, you want to get your structure done early on because when we go to take this out into agency, if you don't have someone on your team that has net worth, liquidity, and experience, when you take this out, you're going to need to go find somebody and you're going to be in a partnership that you don't know if you like that person or that they really are uh, on, on, on your, on your team as a support system or whatever. It costs you some money, usually 20 to 25% of whatever the management earns is what you're going to spend on, on bringing in an outside guarantor. Or more. It could even be 50% of your equity you're giving up to somebody that you don't even know if you're, especially if this is your first deal. So knowing that what you need on bridge, I would say your best bet is to be thinking, I'm going to be taking this out to an agency. And so your requirement at bridge, I suggest having a sponsor that has the two years of experience with the three to five transactions. Mm -hmm. I mean, first and foremost, you need to have people in the cockpit who are flying this plane who know what, how to do it. Mm -hmm. Don't be going out and trying to do this alone without somebody. So you need the net worth, whether it's, it's not something that is required in terms of, you know, uh, net worth greater than the loan amount, but we do want to see that there's a, a a good amount of net worth. There is no liquidity requirement, but I will tell you that recently we've seen we typically ask for ten percent of the um, the transaction of the equity coming into the transaction coming just from the the GP group um, on these transactions that are in bridge. Mm-hmm. We're talking about like some people want to just put their money in and then they take it out at close. These bridge lenders are not allowing that. They're not saying, well, there's nobody, nobody is invested in this. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they've seen in the past. Bridge lenders want to keep your equity in the deal. So what I've seen is that the acquisition fee, you know, you get four or five hundred thousand dollars. I want to get into a deal because I'm making an acquisition fee. These bridge lenders are saying, hmm, I'm keeping your acquisition fee until we execute this. So be aware of that. There's, uh, you know, Arbor is one that has required mm-hmm. clients to leave their yeah. acquisition fee in the deal for a year uh, mm-hmm. because they weren't putting in 10%. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so you've got to be cautious about that. Now, so you've mentioned some fees, and I'm sure there's some people on the call that are thinking, oh my gosh. Um, how am I going to get all this money together? Well, 
um, you know, fifty to sixty thousand dollar application fee. You've got your your deposits, your pre closing expenses, all of those fees, and this ten percent. All of these things have to come from the management team. Uh, if you're doing a limited partnership, we'd call it a general partner. If you're doing a mm-hmm. LLC, we'd call it the manager. Um, in and so it's all coming from that team. So if you don't have that kind of uh, equity in your team to put into these deals, then you're going to have to bring in people to your management team that have that money that they will put at risk. And you can't use passive investor money for these things because uh, if you know you, technically you should not be right. using any passive investor money until you close on the property. And if you don't close on the property, all that other money that you put up, some of it won't be recoverable because it's been spent mm-hmm. on consultants or legal fees or you know loan lender costs and and those are not things that are refundable right um, maybe if you've done some extensions and you've paid hard money to your seller those are not recoverable those are those are mm-hmm. your risk that's your risk that you put into the game as a syndicator so yeah. You know, you can leverage off other people's resources, whether it's their experience, whether they're bringing some some cash to the deal to help get these deals closed. Um, those costs are all reimbursable if you do close, except for if you're dealing with a lender that wants you to keep 10 percent into the into the deal, then you're going to have to leave that in the deal. Um, right. But if you don't, the other way you can get that money is you can do what's called a GP fund. Okay, so that GP fund is where you're actually raising money in advance from people that are going to kind of um, tag along with the management team and and take a share of the earnings that the management team would be entitled to for putting up that money, for putting up their experience, for helping guarantee those loans. So you can you know create a GP fund to pool all these resources that you need to get these deals closed. Mm-hmm. And and that's yeah. and that too can be a securities offering because in some cases those GP partners that are putting up the money are only doing it passively, but with the understanding that their funds are the ones that are at risk. So you know you you still may have to do your own separate securities offering for a GP fund. So that is something that we can help you with as well. Um, well, so I think, oh, and I I, I want to do I do want to say this because Kim may not say it, but. When we're doing these bridge loans, typically, Kim, how much do you charge to do uh, an agency loan to do your your legal? So you got legal doesn't matter to us what kind of a loan it is. Um, okay, which is what kind of an exemption that, that you're choosing. So, you know, okay. very typically, you should be expecting, um, you know, $15,000 mm-hmm. in, in legal fees and costs. So you're going to have some out of pocket costs, some of it's going to go to us, some of it's going to go for forming your LLCs, filing state securities notices, that kind of thing. So 15,000 is a really good ballpark uh, figure for what you should be budgeting for your syndication expenses. If you're doing a specified offering, you're buying one property. If you need, you know, additional entities because you're over a $10 million loan balance, then, you know, there's some Mm -hmm. additional fees with uh, with setting up those additional entities and and operating agreements, but, but it's not huge. Okay. It's, it's no, but, but it is, you, you need to know about that. Right. And so when we're talking about bridge lending, because the the lenders have to work to put together this DACA. It's a deposit account that has to go back and forth to the lender. So the lender legal on a bridge loan, I'll tell you, typically on an agency is about eight thousand dollars. 
We're okay. talking 30 to 50 and even over. I've heard of 175,000 wow. just for the lender legal fees. So you got to be aware of what you're getting into. Um, worst case scenario is probably going to be 150, 175,000. Wow. But I do want you to know, and that's going to be in your closing costs, that that's not upfront. The lender legal on bridge, I told you about the, the deposit is going to be about 50,000. Mm -hmm. This lender legal, you got to put a space on it um, that you, you, that is going to be more. And because the, because the person, the borrower is the one who's going to ultimately pay for that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and then the other thing is really critical to know about these bridge loans is they're in a fluctuating, they're an adjustable rate. They run on the LIBOR or the SOFOR index. Those are typically have been slow growth indexes. And, and so we thought, well, by the time in, in 2028, we're going to be at 1% on that index. Well, you know, with some of the uncertainty with the 1031, we got unemployment, there's a lot of concerns out there that we're now speculating that that LIBOR or so forth getting to 1% is going to be four years earlier. So there's a lot of speculation that these adjustable rates are going to be going up. And so for that, you have to take out an insurance policy. It's called a rate cap. And depending on how far you are in that forward curve to us seeing us get to 1%, that rate cap policy, it really is a policy, can be anywhere from 30,000 to 100, 250,000. So I can take you through that on a, at another time, but it, it, it's something that you have to have a placeholder for this thing called a rate cap. And it's super important though. That is on closing costs. We usually see below, uh, below 10 million, or we usually see about two and a half to 3%. But when we look at below like a $20 million bridge loan, we're talking about 4%, 4% closing costs. It's huge. So be aware of that. It's really important to do in your modeling that you don't forget those, those costs. Yeah, that's those are super important points to mm -hmm. understand. And um, all right, so let's just uh, kind of to bring this all the way back around. Why would somebody use a bridge loan instead of agency debt? Well, as mentioned, you get the capex. So what that what that means is I'm I know I'm going to put a million bucks into this. Okay, on a from a lender standpoint, on a bridge lending standpoint. I'm going to give you that 100% for free, and you don't have to capital raise another million bucks. Now, in the past, with agency during COVID, you'd have to bring in your, your CapEx, so that's a million bucks, and the principal and interest. So let's say it's an additional $2 million. Now, if you're not good at capital raising or you're new to this, a $2 million raise above what you are thinking is going to be hard. So that's where this bridge idea is, can be really well, interesting. Is if uh, your occupancy rates don't meet Fannie or Freddie criteria. Right. 
right? Good point. Good point. Yes. Yeah. So it's usually what, what is the, what are those 90% occupied for 90 days is what agency is looking at. Okay. So you want to, if you want the gold standard, which in my opinion is agency, it's amazing product. You can have it for 10 years. It's, it, it can be assumable, all of that great stuff. But if you find an asset that is 75% occupied, or, or even if it has, it's below rents, you're at 90% occupied, but the rents are below and you need to do some, some um, improvements, a bridge is the way to go. And we can get you from 75% occupied all the way up into 90 because of your business plan. Okay. That pro forma is really important for us to understand. Uh, do you guys do development loans? We will. We will do development loans. What you're typically seeing is more so of a, a, a bank financing on that. Some of my bridge lenders will do it, but you know the this the uncertainty. Uh, a lot of uh, obviously we can't do it um, on a on a uh, the agency because we this is more of stabilized. This is people living in at 90 and 90. So it's, that's not an option. So we would look for other options and many times it's going to be your banks. All right. Well, Julie, I think we have some people that have some questions. So before yeah. we go to that, let's give out your contact information and uh, tell people how they can get a hold of you if they have questions specifically. Yes, for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm on all of the social media, Julie and Peterson. And uh, my phone number is 972-833-2774. I am happy to have a conversation with you. And you're 972-833-2774. Okay, 2774. 2774. And what is your yep. email for them? Jay Peterson at oldcapitallending.com. S-O-N. S-O-N at oldcapitallending.com. Now, listen, I also want to plug Zoom at 8. Zoom at 8 is every Tuesday night. And we have great speakers like Kim Lisa Taylor, who's coming up in July. She's been with us previously. We all love all of the content that she presents. And then we network. And we have closed six deals with the community. So it is a, a great place to meet new folks and and investors, sponsors, attorneys, stuff Could like you that. you put a link to that in the uh, chat or a way that people can learn more about that? Sure um, thing. All right. So, and if anybody wants to get a hold of us, um, best way to do that at our website at syndicationattorneys.com. Um, there's a way for you to schedule an appointment. And also um, you can uh, please check out our library. There are a ton of um, mm -hmm. articles, one and two page articles on all different aspects of syndication, frequently asked questions. Uh, you can get a free digital copy of my book. Uh, so I have, if you don't know, I have a number one Amazon bestselling book called How to Legally Raise Private Money. Uh, you can either get the free digital copy at our website. There's a tab that says get the book or you can go to Amazon and you can buy it. Um, it's got a lot of great reviews and uh, I think it's helped a lot of people. So, um, all right, let's go and see if anybody wants to ask a question. 
Mm -hmm. So somebody asks, um, can syndications fund opportunity zone properties? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Um, Just realize Mm -hmm. that if you're going to do that, you have to have two separate classes of investors. If you're also going to have cash investor, if you're going to have gain investors and cash investors, they are treated differently by the IRS. So you have one class for your cash investors, one class for your gain investors. If we're to get the full benefit, the gain investors have to stay invested for 10 years. So you couldn't do a refinance and pay them back some of their capital, it would negate their uh, gain deferral. Um, But you could cash out your cash investors. Uh, Your cash investors get absolutely no additional benefit from investing in an opportunity zone project, nor do you as the syndicator. The only people that really benefit from that are people who are investing gain from another source. And it is an alternative to doing a 1031 because, and it, and it does have an advantage over the 1031 in that the gain can come from any source uh, and they don't ha- it doesn't have to have been through an intermediary. You could have actually taken possession of the gain. And then as long as you invest it within a specified period of time, then you can still get, uh, defer the tax on that gain. Um, and you only have to reinvest the gain. You don't have to do the boot that you have to do with the 1031 where you've got to get a, a loan amount equal to or greater to what you had before and invest the cash equal to or greater than what your equity was. Um, so, uh, that's, um, that's just a kind of a little bit about opportunity zone. We do have two different articles about opportunity zones in our library. And we've also recorded some previous podcasts about opportunity zones. So you can uh, listen to those if you'd like. Um, Let's see, we have uh, somebody asked, what was the rate again, I think they were asking about the interest rates that you're seeing right now, Julie. Uh, Okay, so on agency, and again, every business, every asset is different, depending on the location, you know, the age of it, the, you know, all who's buying it. So a high level on agency, we're looking at, we can get on a Freddie floater at 2.95. And we can go up to probably about four, 4.5. That's agency. So that's a huge span on a 10 year fixed you would get three years interest only, okay? So those are the rates for agency. When we go to bridge, depending on the location, we we have seen 3.25 up to about 4.50, 4.5. So again, a big span, but the great thing about that bridge is that you can you can throw in your CapEx, which is 100, almost a, up to 100%. I mean, it's it's fantastic. That's great. You know, our goal here with syndication attorneys is to give you all the education you need to be able to confidently go out and syndicate as many properties as you want to do. And we want to give you all of the moral, ethical and legal support that we can to uh, help keep you on track with that. And, um, you know, we're so thankful that Julie came today. She was a wealth of information. Um, this Thank was you. actually a very, very lively conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, here's a question somebody asked you in every state. Um, so, Julie, you answer first. Yes, I'm in every state. So okay. across the nation. But I'll tell you, California, not a lot going on. You know, these uh, as we talked about Florida, you know, you can't get what you really need on a syndication to be able to return in those markets. So you just got to be careful. I, I, I'll look at them, but I, don't, I, I can't really, when I say 50 states, you know, there's limitations. What makes yeah. sense? 
Yeah, and we're able to help clients in every state uh, because most of what we're doing is under federal law. And so mm-hmm. we're able to do that in any state. And uh, so anyway, I want to thank everybody for taking time out of your busy days to join us today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really appreciate uh, your attentiveness and uh, your attendance at these these on these podcasts. It just helps them make it helps make them so much better when we have participation from the audience. So we appreciate that as well. And uh, wishing you all the uh, best rest of your week. And Julie, thanks so much. You're welcome. Great to be with you. Right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Raise Private Money Legally podcast with your host, securities attorney, Kim Lisa Taylor. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Syndication Attorneys PLLC is a law firm that provides syndication and fund documents, offers commercial real estate transactional services, and creates professionally designed investor marketing materials for capital raising clients nationwide. Visit syndicationattorneys.com to schedule an appointment and sign up to get a copy of our latest book, How to Raise Capital for Real Estate Legally, the only guide you need to raise private money legally for real estate funds and syndications.